Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind a beautiful game and says that in the old days, they didn't show a league table until after at least five games. I'm Kevin Day, he's Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, no doubt you're all pleased with yourself and your, your fancy six points, are you? Yes, I'm already looking at European dates for 2022-23, uh, just renewed my passport and uh, all systems go. Yeah, you know, the worst for, thing about... Ten days. Yeah. The worst thing about being at Sellers Park yesterday was it was like watching Brighton. It was like, oh, a centre-back's passed to our centre-back. That's nice. What's he going to do with it? Oh, he's passed it back to the centre-back. He's passed it to the full-back. Oh, he's passed it to Wilf Sahar. What's he going to do? Oh, he's passed it back to the centre-back. It's a lot of passing going. Roy Hodgson would have been sitting there going, hang on, you would have been booing me by now. What's going on? <laughs> it's, um, it's questions day, Kieran, but we do have one important news story and it's happened very quickly because we only spoke about it on Thursday the hostile takeover of Rochdale has collapsed what do we know about that Kieran yes um a a collection of of events effectively took place on Friday uh we'd actually been contacted by the Rochdale Supporters Trust on Thursday with with a view to uh getting them to come on the show to to expand upon how how they perceive the, the issues to be and, and, and their reservations about the, uh, the the rationale behind these these uh, these new guys coming in to potentially own, own the club, um, and uh, got to give credit to the EFL as well. They've uh, they they've not been uh, rolling over. Uh, you know that they they've stood up and, and and they wanted to make sure that the the, the correct uh, tests had been applied and. There, there were there were issues. You know, I, I was getting quite a few messages coming through um, with regards to the the background of the owners. Um, some 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 concerns that there were there were accusations made by the trust about comments that were made, um, and then things started to accelerate on Friday, where the EFL brought out a statement which uh, effectively says that the the prospective owners have. Uh, withdrawn their offer, um, and, and they did own around about you know around about forty two percent of the shares. There were there were one or two kingmakers remaining, and on the back of that, it looks as if they are going to go through um, the process of returning or uh, selling the existing shares that they have. Now, whether mm. they're going to be sold to one party or offered back to the original owners, as as yet we don't know what that's going to be. Um, the, the EFL were investigating. I, I don't think there was necessarily a good relationship between the EFL and the prospective new owners in terms of getting information out of them, which appeared to be dragging things on a bit further. Um, so uh, you know, Rochdale continues to be a broadly owned club with, with lots of shareholders, um, there was certainly there was no desire from the boardroom or the fan base for the club to to be sold, and uh, it, it looks as if uh, that those fans have succeeded. And you know, you know, so, you know, and, and I think that's probably the best thing for all concerned because you know why move into a house where the neighbours hate you? Yeah, and, and you're fairly sure that it was the the level and the vehemence of the fan opposition that led to the withdrawal of the attempt to purchase the club it, it was a contributory factor um I, I think the uh the prospective owners were finding it increasingly difficult to to buy more shares right. which would have allowed them to get through the the 50 threshold um and therefore they probably thought what what's the point of being a significant minority shareholder uh, at a football club where nobody wants us to be there and and had had their uh, had their offer succeeded, I think things would things would have ramped up a, a further level because there's mm. no doubt there's been communication between the the Rochdale Supporters Trust and those of other clubs. And um, you know, I'm I'm always in favour of non-violent direct action to, uh, to to move the dial. We, we've seen that happen at Swindon, at Blackpool, at, at my club, you know, and, and, and others historically. 
And if you, if you do the things the right way, you, you can A, get really pos- positive publicity and feedback, um, and B, keep the story in the domain whilst potentially damaging those who uh, who might not be on the side of the angels, we should say. Mm. It's an indication of how far the Maguire family have come that you're in favour of non-violent direct action. <laughs> as we know, many of your antecedents were very much in favour of the violent direct action approach, which which could be just as effective in its own way. The only, I mean, this is clearly, this is a triumph for Rochdale fans, and we, we applaud that, we salute it. But the only slight worry, and we did discuss this on Thursday, Kieran, when we talked about this story at some length, is that the potential new owners, the people who were attempting the hostile takeover, are still very adamant that this was the club's last chance to avoid financial doomsday, basically, that the club, as it was, as it's being run, is in serious trouble and they were the only way out. And that's, that's still the worry in the back of my mind, that that might be true, might be sour grapes, you don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've, I've got Rochdale's accounts going back to year dot, as, as you can imagine, and like many clubs in the lower divisions, they uh, they find it tough. But th- there's no evidence that there were any pressing uh, demands on the club. And, and I think some of the um, accusations by the prospective owners that of, of doomsday were perhaps a bit overstated. So... Um, I think Rochdale fans, you know, they've got a right to feel relieved and happy. It's still their club, you know, in in terms of the way that they perceive Rochdale Football Club to, to be. Um, but they're not out of the woods in the sense that you know, we're still coming out of a global pandemic. The club has, like all clubs, in in a similar position. They they've they've been living from from hand to mouth for for. A, a long period of time, and, and they've got to cut their cloth accordingly. But provided they do take that approach, then there's no reason why they should be deemed to be worse off than than other clubs in the lower two divisions. Well, that's good to hear. And it's also, <clears throat> I think, important to note for any new listeners we might have that the future of clubs like Rochdale is just as important to this pod as clubs like Barcelona. And we will discuss as much time discussing one as the other basically. It doesn't matter how large or small a football club is, we are concerned about it and about their fans. Um, and we have some interesting questions from fans, Kieran. Very interesting. Are you, are you shaving while we're doing the pod? <laughs> I, was, I, was just, I was just scratching. scratching. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I, I was just slightly worried. And in the old days, I'd be asking if you were manscaping while we were doing the pod. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is taking multitasking to a new level. Well, I just had, as I know, <laughs> I, I know it's the Baroness's birthday, so she'll still be in bed, I imagine. <laughs> I, I had visions of Finley putting lava on. He's a clever dog, lavering <laughs> your face up and just giving you the... Uh... Anyway, um, our first question comes from Nick Berg. Hello, Nick. Uh, Nick Berg says, do football clubs have collective purchasing consortia for common items like beer, pies, sandwiches, seats, printing, etc.? Surely small clubs could benefit through having collected negotiated prices uh, and larger shares of contract value and concentrated billing. I think this is certainly something that's worth uh, investigating by clubs. I think the, the the downside of this is because we do have promotion and relegation, um, we, we've got clubs you know, moving from the EFL to the National League, moving from the Championship to the Premier League and vice versa. And those are, of course, independent entities. Um, but... Uh, there, there are collective contracts organised by the football authorities in terms of revenue generation. Uh, so, you know, TV, uh, general sponsorship. Clearly, we've got the, the Skybet uh, EFL, and you know, we, we've had the Vanarama National League, and so on, uh, where. Where, where the responsibility for those is, is delegated to the leagues themselves. But I've, I've not heard anything about clubs coming together. I, I, th- I think there's a slight element of the clubs might fear that they would be giving away sensitive information by doing so. So, you know, how, you know if, if if Club A is, is selling 30% uh, yeah, more pies than Club B and yet he's getting the same same average attendances, you know, is, is, that a, is that a good sign? Is that a bad sign? Um, and there is, there are reservations. You know, the clubs are competing against each other, and anything which gives one 
a you know, a marginal gain against another would be viewed with uh, a degree of of scepticism and and, and caution. So, um, I, I think it's a really good idea from Nick. You know, but for, yeah. for four four or five, especially if you've got four or five clubs which geographically aren't too far apart, you know, why not why not all approach the the local pie manufacturer and say, um, you know, three of us are using you. We will. We will guarantee all four or five of us for the next four or five years if uh, if, if we can negotiate uh, better prices, um, which either A, could be passed on to the consumer, unlikely, mm-hmm. or B, could could help the clubs in terms of their bottom line. And, you know, in, in respect of the, the story that we've just dealt with in terms of Rochdale, um, every penny really counts more than ever. Yeah, and talking of ticketing... As we sort of were, I, I have to mention Kieran one hero at Sellers Park yesterday was Palace. At very short notice, literally less than two weeks' notice, decided to introduce uh, an electronic ticket situation. And every Palace fan, having experience of Palace trying to do things like this in the past, <laughs> panicked and, yes. and and basically got there at half past one. And it was still chaos around most parts of the ground, but uh, Turnstile Four. Uh, the Arthur Waite stand, there's a young man on the gate, the steward, who was just fantastic. He was super here. He was just literally, as people were approaching in the queue, just saying, give me a phone, give me a ticket, give me a phone. And he was lit- He was doing it for everybody. Brilliant. And he, he, was, and he was brilliant because every other turnstile just had thousands of confused Palace fans going, it's, I've got an email, look, it says here, it's got a barcode. It's not working, mate. Go to the ticket office. That's the queue for the ticket office. It's joining in with it. But yeah, so the young, if you're the young man at Turnstile 4 or the Arthur Waite stand yesterday, congratulations. You deserve way more than the 12 quid now you're getting, probably. Our next question comes from Gaurav Singhvi. Uh, and Gaurav says, when the Lionesses or Young Lions play their qualifying fixtures for world European tournaments in various stadia around England, St Mary's, for example, how much does the FA pay for usage? Um, I, I suspect it's actually, to a certain extent, the other way round, that, that there will be a hosting fee paid oh. by by the clubs because they, they want to uh, demonstrate that they that they can uh, host uh, a, a match of that magnitude. It will be broadcast on TV. Um, so they're getting publicity. And at the same time, they will get a proportion of the gate receipts. Um, and, and that can actually work in, in the club's favour. So... Um, uh, yeah, otherwise, the the, the FA I, I think would be in, inclined to pay play more matches at Wembley or right. at uh, St George's Park, or yeah, especially if the, if the crowd's going to be low. Um, so, so this gets this gets the opportunity for fans around the country to to see young England players, to see the Lionesses as well, um, and uh, all, all parties can win on on the back of that. Uh, the the club hosting the match now has an incentive to market the the match which is taking place if, if they're on a proportion of the gate receipts, um, and and the FA get uh, get 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 to have England going around the country as well. And, and presumably, apropos Nick Berg's question, uh, Southampton, for example, are keeping the beer money, the pie money, yep. and, and the programme money as well. Okay. Yep. So, so yep. Is, like you say, it's a win-win all round. Um, our next question comes from Matthew Millwood, uh, which I'm so childish, I nearly didn't read this out because it sounds like Millwall. Um, <laughs> Matthew Millwood has a question, and Kieran, I, I, I'm getting tearful. It's like, it's like welcoming back an old friend. This question. I, I generally didn't think there was any more questions to be had on the subject of the sale of Hillsborough Stadium, but Matthew's got one. Um, here it is. Uh, if I, I apologise for everybody if I break down halfway through this. It's just a reminder of happier times when Sheffield Wednesday and Derby were all we had to speak about. Um, Matthew says, in the period ending July 2019, there was a profit on the sale of Hillsborough Stadium of £38 million. There is now a lease for 30 years between the club and Sheffield 3, the new owner, with a value of £77.25 million. Am I right in thinking, then, that at the end of a 30-year lease, there will effectively be a loss of £37.25 million to the club, uh, profit from the sale minus cost of lease, and who will then own the ground? Right. Um, I, I don't... 
Uh, I, I don't see that as being a loss to the club. No. Um, what, what has happened is that Hillsborough has been sold to ultimately this company, Sheffield 3, which is owned by the the club owner, uh, Delphon Chancery. Um, Sheffield Wednesday Football Club are now the tenant. So um, they, they have a lease. They are paying rent from what I can make out of one and a half million pounds a year. Um, and it, it's a bit like these, uh, you, you see the adverts on daytime TV for equity release in your, in your house. So effectively you sell your house, you, you, uh, you, you get money, you, you then end up renting your house back from, from another company. And, and when, when you're no longer there, the house becomes theirs. Um, so in terms of what happens at the end of the lease period, there's, there's one of three things that, that could arise. First of all, uh, Sheffield Wednesday would be in a position to buy back the ground at presumably the market price, or it could be a price which is already embedded into a contract. Secondly, they could renegotiate an extension on the lease for another X years, or um, Sheffield 3 could find a new tenant. But uh, you know, it, it's, it's a single-purpose property so mm. finding something else for it, for it to, to, to to be used for i think would be difficult and there could be covenants to protect the use um of hillsborough as a football stadium um, embedded into that contract we, we don't know, know. i mean that you know, the whole reason behind the sale of hillsborough was to uh address potential losses with regards to uh financial fair play and they didn't work out, and on the back of that, ultimately, yeah, Sheffield Wednesday were, were relegated, as we know. Which, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm I'm not at ease with. Yeah, I've, I've always said that what happens on the pitch dictates yeah. your, your final position in the table, rather than how good is your accountant or lawyer. So, so that's that's where we are. But they, they, they've certainly not uh, suffered a loss. Um, the reason why they raised a profit was that the value of the the value of Hillsborough had increased over the, the, the time of ownership of the of the property. Just you know, just if you arrive, we sold our house at a profit. It would be how much did we originally pay for it compared to the sale mm. proceeds? Yeah, I, I said thirty seven point two five as a potential loss. It might be thirty nine point two five. I can't read my own writing. It's not. <laughs> it's not even writing. It's numbers, uh, and that will teach me to try and write the script. At eight o'clock last night, after being in the Paulson's arms since eleven o'clock, um, <laughs> it just strikes me though as well, Kieran. Does I, I, I was thinking about it this morning. It is in any other business, or certainly if you're selling a house or, or renting a shop, thirty years seems like a short lease. Would I be right in thinking that? Um, it, it, in the in the business world, no. Um, right, you, okay. you know, uh, so if, if you take a look at you know shopping centres. Um, most of the the retail units would be for you know five six seven year leases um, with, with a view to th- then some form of renewal and if, if it's in both parties' interests that that is the case. Um, there are there there are certain accounting reasons why keeping it to thirty years might be beneficial because that helps to allow uh, the, the football club to to register a profit. Um, okay. Otherwise, it, it might just be deemed to have been a loan from the from okay. Sheffield Three. Oh, right. So, so yes. there's, yes. there's there's uh, you know the, the dark arts of accounting were were arising, and I, and I and I I've got about four exam questions out of Hillsborough, um, oh, really from, from the way that it was done uh, because it's uh, for me it's sort of uh, lots of fun and games. Oh well, it's you know every cloud's got a silver lining, Kieran. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure, Sheffield Wednesday fans would be delighted to learn that there's four exam questions. Um, Tom Ironside has a next question. Strong name, Tom. Strong name, Tom Ironside. Uh, last season, Manchester United appointed John Murta as a football director. Uh, it had long been said that the club needed one, but why? How does this one role separate the finance and the business from the football? Um, it, it doesn't necessarily. Uh, separate them. It, it's more of a case of what happens when a manager leaves a club. You, you get a you, you get a void because historically, um, you know, we've had managers who ran the club for you know, on all of the football yeah. side of things, and, and if that manager goes, you've got all of a sudden a loss of continuity. And the and the role of a football director is that the the length of tenure 
of a football director tends to be far longer than that of a manager. If, if we take a look at the championship, for example, you know, the average life expectancy of, of a championship manager is 14 months, which is, uh, is ridiculously short uh, if you are looking at the strategy of a 40 or 50 million pound business. Mm. So the... The, uh, the director of football acts as, a, as in, an intermediary, a buffer between the board of the manager. In theory, the, the manager is therefore just left to focus on match issues, on coaching. And the, the director of football can be involved in terms of the long-term strategy in, uh, you know, with uh, issues such as the transfer policy. So the, you know, the, 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 the manager stroke coach would he have involvement in the transfer policy? Yes. But will he be able to just go to the board and say, I want to sign X, Y, and Z, you go and sort it. Um, it, it becomes a little bit more nuanced on that. The, the club would have uh, an, another party who has football expertise because otherwise you've got you've got four or five businessmen you you might have a you've got a finance director you've got chief executive you've got a hr director uh, a, a comms director and so on but the, in terms of their football qualifications they they might not have any between them so mm. you you become over reliant upon one individual what happens if uh, that he gets poached by another club or they decide to sack him you bring somebody else in and the first thing they want to do is to uh you know i want to get rid of six players i want to bring in six players i've worked with before yeah. and, and that becomes very expensive so a director of football is is very strategic if, if you take a look at you know if you take a look at manchester city and uh is it, is it cheeky uh bagiristain you know he he's uh, he's very much involved in uh working alongside the manager but uh dealing with the things that the manager really shouldn't be wasting their time on, such, such as you know, negotiating contracts and uh, trying to uh, tr- trying to do the recruitment themselves. Uh, Danny Murdoch, hello, Danny. Uh, says, my team, Inverness, Caledonia and Thistle, were in trouble in 2019, but some cost-cutting and fresh investment seemed to save things. The CEO, Scott Gardner, seems to be quite innovative, but could COVID has hit us in more ways than one as we had to cancel several concerts at our stadium. How perilous are our finances? Um, well, I mean, I mean Danny's quite quite right. Uh, Inverness, Cali, Thistle were run pretty damn well uh, you know between 20 to 13 to 16 they were they were making profits or, or breaking even which which is you know an achievement and then things started to get worse so so they lost 400 grand in 2017 that doubled in 2018 that was around about the same in 2019 and and, and the losses overall were, were mounting up so there does appear to have been a, a change at the top with, with a view to running the club on, on more of a break-even model. The losses have been reduced by three quarters in 2020, despite the initial impact of COVID. So that's got to be encouraged. Um, it, it looks as if the, there's been sort of you know, an increase in terms of share capital to, to sort of bolster the balance sheet. So... Um, I would say that the, the right type of decisions, in my view, are starting to be made, and, and they were addressing some of the uh, some of the losses which were getting out of control. Um, in, in terms of COVID, that, that's hit all clubs. Uh, Scottish clubs, from what I've seen, have dealt with this probably better than many clubs south of the border because yeah. in the main they tended to be in a better financial position than english clubs or although uh cali thistle you know the, these losses were were starting to get make me a little bit twitchy right that's interesting because you've always since we first started doing this pod you've always been um more of a fan of the way scottish football clubs manage themselves than english fans uh, english clubs haven't you um Yes, I mean, and it's sort of a, it's it's a double edged sword because what what we have here in England is that we've got clubs who are very ambitious to to get to the next level because the rewards of promotion, uh, especially yeah. if you go from League One to the Championship, Championship to the Premier League, are huge. 
what they have in Scottish football is, is a far more graduated uh, and gentler slope between individual divisions, which means that there's less incentive to you know, twist on 19, as I yeah, tend yeah. to describe it. Yeah. Um, and as a result of that, if, if you're not prepared to, to gamble your house on getting from one division to another, um, then you're less likely to, to overspend. So, uh, you know, that's, that, that's something I've been arguing with, with a lot of people. It's, uh, it's, it's not that the parachute payments are the problem. It's, it's the gaps between the divisions are the problem. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're hoping to, to speak to, uh, Tracy Crouch this week as, as, we uh, um, and, you know, I'll, I'll be interested to see see her views. Mm. Uh, you know, I don't know whether she's looked at Scottish football as well as the English game to to see some of the benefits that they have up there. Uh, hopefully she has because she's uh, well, she was the minister for all of uh, the, the, the country. Um, that would be a question for us to ask her. Uh, we have a long list of questions to ask Tracy, so I suspect that interview may go over two programmes, to be honest. Um, our next question comes from Ali MacArthur. Now, I'm not sure if this suggestion from Ali MacArthur is genius, out-of-the-box blue-sky thinking or proof positive that Ali MacArthur should not ever be allowed anywhere near running a football club. Um, So I'm going to be interested to hear what you say about it, Kieran. Because Ali says, I was wondering if, under the current climate, football clubs are looking for more inventive deals to entice players to join them. For example, would it be feasible to offer Kylian Mbappe a three-year contract at £600,000 a week, but pay it over six years at £300,000 a week? So even if he leaves after three years, he'd still be guaranteed that extra £300,000 a week for a further three years. And obviously, says Ali, it's a gamble, but is it an avenue to purchase players with bumper salaries? Now, I can see one issue, Kieran, which is if I was Kylian Mbappe, I'd wait a year and say, well, I've had a lovely time in Thornton Heath. And yes, Palace fans are, <laughs> Palace fans are great, but I'm off now. Usual bank details. Thank you. Goodbye. And sits back and gets £300,000 a year for five years. So is, is, this, is this genius or lunacy from Ali? Um, I, I think there is an element of uh, genius here from Ali. I mean, this, right. this is all to do with cash flow management. Um, and that's something which uh, I, uh, I I am very keen on. Uh, this, this is, this is, this is <laughs> yeah, something which I have... Do you, do you know what? You, you and Mrs. Day both. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's not dwell too much on cash flow management. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I have, I have similar, similar conversations with, uh, with, with the Baroness, who um, we we have two different approaches to saving money. Hers <laughs> is to go out and buy something and tell me how much money she saved because it was in a sale, and mine is to not buy something. Um, so, uh, but uh, but I, I can't I, I can't criticize. And, and I'd just like to have a, a quick shout out for Danny. 29 from London because after it was as, as you know I, I posted that it, I, it was the Baroness's birthday uh, earlier last week and uh, I sort of uh, a, a polite a polite request to my chums in the media to to, to let me have a day off because I, cause I have I've genuinely worked every day this year and uh, and, and they did um, so I, I, I posted a picture of, of the wonderful Baroness to which uh, Danny 29 of London said she's a proper milf uh, hashtag hot wife and and I then had the slightly awkward uh, conversation with the Baroness who didn't know what milf or hot wife meant um, so uh, and she went oh uh, and and I also had to point out that technically she's a gilf so um, Kieran, yeah it, it was I can't begin to tell you how many things were wrong with what you just said there Kieran sit so the last thing you do is point out to your wife of many years standing that somebody has posted a comment about the uh, Lord. Also, the, the fact that you, I love the, your your idea of, of, of saving money is to not spend it. It's, it's a, you're living in a 70s sitcom, Kieran. You know that. <laughs> you are slowly turning into Sid James. <laughs> well, that I would be... I'm a dire happy man. Okay, let's get back to cash flow management then. <laughs> uh, oh yes, yes. So back back to Ali's question. Um, 
certainly spreading uh, spreading a cost of a player is it does have benefits and we are seeing this of course increasingly in terms of transfers so so could that be done with regards to players um yes it could you know the player could be on a on a you know on a monthly retainer and then at the end of each year they're given uh you know a more a, a loyalty bonus or or an annual bonus um which, which helps the clubs because the way that the Premier League works is that the Premier League's biggest payouts to clubs takes place every at the start of every July. So yeah, they they, they give you effectively a down payment of the following season's TV money. So yeah, that that's really beneficial. So yeah, clubs could perhaps tie into that. That would help the clubs' cash flow. It would mean that they're going overdrawn less. If they're going overdrawn less. They're paying less interest. In terms of loans, so so yeah, there's that there are there are merits to that. Um, all you know, the alternative is to to give Kylian Mbappe uh, a a hugely incentivized contract in terms of you know X Y and Z. Uh, you know, we, although when I was talking to an agent recently, he says sort of things such as uh, goal contracts are, are are diminishing simply because it it is, they found it's counterproductive. You know, players can actually become increasingly selfish yeah. uh, so yeah. so win bonuses yes individual gold bonuses no uh yeah the, the reason the reason why spurs year in year out have the the lowest wages to income uh ratio in uh, in the premier league is that their pay scheme is is very highly incentivized um and then they they cunningly manage to not win any trophies so they they don't pay, have to pay out the incentive payments, and, and that's why they've got, they've got a very successful uh, you know profit and loss account on the back of that. But yeah, th- there's there's certainly benefits. Whether whether the players would be in favour of that, and whether their representatives would be in favour of that, and and the downside is, yeah, what happens if Kylian Mbappe leaves after three years? You've then got to pay him three hundred thousand pounds a week for the next three years, plus his replacement on whatever he's coming in. So it, it can be a way of. Uh, you know, short-term gain, long-term pain. Hi, I'm Steve Lamarck, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Mm. Do we have a, an age rating on this pod, Kieran? Because I'm just, I'm just worried that you know if we've got youngsters listening, all this MILF and GILF talk, especially as Guy is off this week, and rather sweetly, touchingly, and naively said, no one's around to edit it. Can you do one that doesn't need any editing? Yeah, so, that's, 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 that's not that's need editing. That's fine. It's, that's uh, fine. If, if, uh, I, I, think, uh, I think every teenage boy in the country probably knows yeah, fair enough. what's going on there. Actually, and and I've just realised, guys, not editing this week. We can throw the word wrong and around with with abandon. <laughs> we can. We missed, a, we missed a trick there in the Rochdale thing. Didn't we? We, just, we just referred to wrong and <laughs> willy nilly. There you go, willy nilly. Ha ha! Take that out, guy. You can't willy, <laughs> willy nilly. <laughs> um, I wonder if there's been anybody called willy nilly. Anyway, I'm sure there was in Viz. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> our next question comes from Colin Telford. Uh, and Colin says that Kieran has mentioned PLC football clubs a few times. That's quite right. Uh, and I share his view that they take football away from fans because ultimately the CEO of a PLC answers to shareholders whose interests may not align with supporters. But is there something to be said for PLCs in football? For example, do the disclosure and transparency rules provide protection against dun da 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 wrongins? They. they... I, th- I think Colin raises a really in- interesting point here in-, in the sense that you are less likely to have a PLC which is run as a personal fiefdom, um, al- although th- that-, that can be done. Certainly, if-, if we take a look at Manchester United, 
Um, although it is a PLC and it is quoted on the New York Stock Exchange, because of the nature of the the share ownership, where uh, every share that is owned by the Glazers carries 10 votes compared to every share which is owned by anybody who has a surname which is not Glazer, uh, their shares are only worth one vote each. It, it does allow them to effectively dictate policy. Um, but the, the, there is increased scrutiny um, de- demanded by the stock exchanges. Um, and, and that's why historically, we've seen clubs such as Millwall, Sheffield United, Hearts and Spurs, who have been listed on stock exchanges move away from that, because the costs of complying with the demands of the stock market, on top of the fact that shareholders are saying, well, yeah, we don't care whether you win, lose, or draw. We want a financial return. Yeah, yeah. Um, meant that there was there was a genuine conflict in in terms of sporting versus financial achievement. Um, so yeah, Co- Colin does have. I think Colin's comments have some merits. What we have seen in respect of many wrongs and football is that these people have acquired what's best best described as distressed assets you know football clubs who are in a parlous financial position and the owner sells to anybody just to get rid without doing too much due diligence um that's less likely to happen in a in a plc environment but if if you're a small football club you're not going to be a plc anyway because it's you've got to be a certain de minimus size um and and they're likely to be below the threshold um, but more protection for uh, for smaller clubs is is something we'd like to discuss with Tracy Crouch. Of course. Um, Ryan Thomas asks uh, a really interesting question, and one which I know for a fact we've never talked about before. Ryan says, I was speaking to my sister the other day, who was looking to become a professional cricketer, and the subject of pregnancy came up, um, which as I was writing this semi-drunk <laughs> last night, I found a little bit weird until I read the rest of the sentence, because I've just had a little boy. Uh, congratulations, uh, Ryan. That's wonderful news. Although we have such a backlog of questions, just in case, I should also say, happy third birthday, <laughs> Ryan Jr. <laughs> um, but this question is, Ryan's question is, and it's a really interesting one, do female footballers have pregnancy clauses in their contracts? Surely they can't go straight from a high wage to statutory maternity pay, and obviously they can't play while they're pregnant. Well, um, I contacted Alex Colvin on this uh, this morning. Uh, Alex uh, is uh, an ex-WSL player, uh, and she's now an academic, uh, and she's an absolute superstar as well. Yeah, I've, I've worked with Alex on, on a few projects. Um, she said that in general, there is no maternity cover or clause oh. in terms of contracts, but... There are a few nuances. So, um, for example, if you are uh, an England player, then there is cover. But so that sounds yeah, that sounds promising, progressive. You know, it gives protection to the player, of course. Um, but England contracts are, are centrally negotiated, and they tend to be renewed annually. So, you know, wh- whether you might have cover for a few months and then they say well we're not going to renew your contract because you're either pregnant or you you've uh, you've just said you've just had a child and, and uh, as a consequence we, we we don't have plans for you uh, in terms of playing for England for the next 12 months um, so so that that could be a downside so but on a short term basis that would benefit the players um, the the football players union fifpro does have a global policy in terms of maternity cover for female players, but uh, yeah, Alex's research uh, indicates that only two percent of players have taken up on this. Um, but that it's an ongoing issue, I, I think, from from a player's perspective, because there's there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, that they you know they they want to progress their career, um, but they're they're not really getting a lot of information from the clubs. I think the clubs could mm. do a lot better uh, in, in respect of this particular issue by by being proactive, by you know, by, by having meetings with the players and uh, just uh, you know, giving giving them a uh, give, giving them a degree of certainty. Um, but it, it's it, it's making progress. But it's slow progress on on something which, in my opinion, could be 
dealt with quite easily and uh, in, in an adult manner uh, but between all parties. So I, th- I think the clubs could do more here to to give the, the, the players a little bit more comfort. I, I have to say, Kieran, I'm actually genuinely surprised because I, I thought that the answer to the question, do female footballers have pregnancy clauses in their contract, was going to be, yes, they do. Um, so that's a, a surprise to me and an interesting one. But speaking of birthdays, Kieran, did the... Did the Baroness have a nice time? I, I saw a photograph of her dancing merrily on Brighton Pier at half past 12 in the morning, which is indicated that perhaps she did have a nice time. But um, yeah, yeah, we had, a, we had an absolutely wonderful time. Uh, we, uh, we we booked into a hotel. We went to her favourite restaurant, a place called The Ginger Man. We, we, had, we, had, we had the tasting menu there. And that that went well. You know, I, I had the um, I had the water flight, which goes along with the Ooh. tasting menu, right. and the Baroness had the wine flight, and and that probably would have gone reasonably well. But um, she'd uh, she, she'd had half a bottle of champagne and a couple of cocktails beforehand, just to just to steady the nerves. Um, and then I think the the Nespresso Martini at the end mm. of the meal perhaps tipped her over the edge. Um, when she said, I, I now need more water, and, and then proceeded to pour a, a bottle of water over the table, um, which are going, well, that's probably not the, the, the safety target. So, so yes, that, so then, we, then she thought it would be a great idea to, to go to the bandstand at Brighton, at Brighton Beach, and, uh, and she, was, uh, she says, oh, I, I don't want people to think I'm drinking. So she was merrily clutching a bottle of water there. Yeah, but it was a great evening, uh, a wonderful time, and uh, I'm, I'm very, very privileged to have her in my life. Ah, oh, bless you. And although a, a, a true gentleman, Kieran, would have ordered the wine flight for himself just so the Baroness could have both. But I'm, <laughs> that I'm could de- have got very messy. <laughs> I, I, I'm delighted to learn that, and I'm, I, I hope it's only in Brighton, that you get offered a choice of different water for each course. <laughs> so I think you'll like this, sir. This is very robust tap water. goes goes perfectly with the steak. This <laughs> Um <laughs> Neil Palmer has a specific question about his his local club, and we're always happy to talk about individual clubs. Um, Neil says, I wonder if I could get your thoughts on my local club, Barnet. To me, the club situation looks relatively bad in a league full of bad situations, and any investment in the club has all gone into the infrastructure, which is set up in a different company. I, I've got I've got fond memories of Underhill, the old Barnet plays. So I remember Palace playing there years ago in a pre-season friendly and in particular I remember the look on Attilio Lombardo's face as he walked onto the pitch fresh out of Italian football. You thought my eyebrows went high. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's Neil, it's Neil it's, it's seriously he went Lombardo walked out on the pitch and then went straight to a bloke in the stands who he assumed was his agent. And You could see lots of Italian style gesticulating so even from where we were standing, it looked like he was saying, just check through my contract. Just check through all the smallest. <laughs> of there must be somewhere you can get me out of this country. Uh, is Neil right to worry about uh, Barnet? Um, Barnet Football Club actually runs quite well okay. um, in, in the sense that it, it appears to be breaking even from, from what I can make out. Um, it is run by the Double A group. Which uh, whose, whose owner also appears to run some medical companies, which themselves seem to have done quite well. So, so from that point of view, um, the, the club appears to be okay. Um, they they don't own the stadium, as as I think Neil was uh, was uh, rightly pointing out, which mm. which does uh, always make you slightly concerned, uh, you know, in terms of how long have we got the stadium for, but. At present, I don't think things are are too bad. Now, you know, it, it could be that they're, you know, but Barnet have, have been a classic yo-yo club between the EFL yeah. and, and the National League, and uh, you know, again, a bit like you, know, I, I think my, my first trip to Underhill was, I think it was it was either nineteen eighty one or nineteen eighty two uh, FA Cup third round when when Brighton were in the old first division and they were non league and and we scraped a nil nil draw we stunk the place out that yeah. day uh, and it was one of those matches you always remember because i think spurs and west ham had kicked off at midday that day and uh we were kicking off at three o'clock and, and then spurs and west ham decided to have a um should we say a meet up 
in the car park after you know classic classic early eighties. Yeah, um, yeah. gentlemen, let's introduce ourselves to one another. So so that 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 was that was quite spectacular. Um, so so that that was uh, yeah that was all you know eighty style fun and games, Green Street and all that. Um, but uh, in terms of their finances, I, I think their their finances are 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 okay. But what happens if the stadium is is going to be you know lost is, is a cause of concern, and there have been issues in terms of the stadium because of movements and so on. Um, I, I don't think that they're a club that is is necessarily budgeting for uh, a sustained attack to get back to the EFL, and, and I think mm. that that might form the part part of Neil's concerns. Uh, I also remember a couple of uh, Barnet fans in the pub beforehand very patiently explaining to some Larry South London lads that, yes, it had been pointed out before that Underhill sounds like somewhere that hobbits might live. Because, <laughs> uh, uh, of course, everyone thinks they're the first one to say it. Hey, sounds, like, <laughs> sounds like somewhere a hobbit would live, wouldn't it? Hey? <laughs> um, our final question comes from Tom Metcalf. <laughs> <laughs> did, I say you were li- did I say you were living in a 70s sitcom? <laughs> right, and it's uh, it's actually my my mate my mate Grant who's just popped round who who is a uh, is a Palace fan hasn't missed a Palace match for nine years. Oh really? Uh, including pre-season friendlies, he's he's uh, he's an absolute. But he, he he came round last night and uh, he's he's left. I think I, I think he's left some uh, some stuff. So he's just come to collect it. Yeah, he's, he's left some hopes and dreams. Finley obviously likes him. Finley's pleased to see him, isn't he? See, if this was a 70s sitcom, Sid James would be going, why is the dog so pleased to see him? Um, uh, Tom Metcalf has asked his question to both of us, which um, guarantees it being broadcast. Uh, (laughs) I read it twice. I was like, you thought I welled up during the Hillsborough question. This this really got me emotional. Um, But Tom asked both of us, if you could make one change to football, what would it be? Um, well, obviously, personal level would be changing Palace's kit back to Claret and Blue. But it's a very tricky question, Kieran, just one change. But for me, and I don't care how much Sky and BT pay for the rights, the one change I would make would be that the later the kickoff time, the closer the away team has to be. So Newcastle, yes. Newcastle away at Wolves at 5.30 on the Saturday, just about doable. Newcastle away at Brighton, 8 o'clock kickoff, absolutely not. No way. So that would be my... My one change, although I, I was tempted by your the idea that you always have about making stadia like listed buildings, but no, I'd go for that one. Home, you know, no, no ludicrous away journeys for football fans. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I had sort of one for on the pitch, which is if a club, if a team is winning a match and it goes into the last five minutes and they are keeping the ball in the corner. Yeah, towards the corner circle. Mm. Um, you are legally allowed to kick them in the testicles up to three times <laughs> to discourage them, um, because it. And I, and I don't care whether we're winning or losing. It really hacks me. I go along to you, see you play football, not to not to fanny around in the in, in the corner area. So that would be my one for on the pitch and off the pitch. Actually, it's very similar to yours, Kevin. Um, we have acquiesced to the TV companies and the football clubs for far too long with regards to changes to kickoff times. So um, what it's, the rule I would introduce is that if a kickoff time is changed for TV purposes, um, all season ticket holders would be entitled to, if they choose, to a refund um, mm. on that particular match ticket. Yeah, because yeah. I, I've 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 got tickets for concerts on Friday nights and Saturday. Yeah, you know, I might be doing something on a Saturday lunchtime. Yeah. I've got uh, you know I've I've got things. Yeah, you know, as, as you know, I I work in Liverpool. Well, I, I commute from where I live to Liverpool normally on a Sunday afternoon under normal circumstances. Um, so so you know, we wouldn't you wouldn't accept it on any other aspect of life. So so why football clubs are allowed to get away with this? And and we're just like nodding dogs. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I compare I compare compare English fan culture to German fan culture. Uh, yeah, when they introduced or tried to introduce Monday night football, German fans said no or, or yeah. nine, as it were, and you know, and 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 they and they forced the, the German football authorities to back down. Uh, yeah, why why do we accept this nonsense? I, I sign up, I sign up for Saturday at three o'clock. 
Um, if, if they want to change the match for football, per, for, for TV purposes, if I can get to the match, then then I will do my very best. But if due to circumstances I can't, well, you, know, you failed to deliver Saturday at three o'clock, so give me my money back. Yeah, well, that's a very good point. I think West Ham are playing Leicester, I think, on this Monday, tonight, in fact. Um, tomorrow night, there's, this is Sunday. Let's not get confused. <laughs> uh, t- yeah, so tomorrow night, West Ham are, uh, are playing Leicester. Um, and normally, there would be West Ham fans and Leicester fans who have got young children who would happily go along to a, a Saturday 3 o'clock kickoff and now have to decide whether or not their kids are going to be late for school the next morning or tired for school so yeah that's a very good suggestion that's um i'd be interested actually let's let's ask our listeners for their for their one suggestion uh one redoubtable suggestion for a change <laughs> that'd be, that'd be, we ask a lot of our support of our of our listeners but i'd be interested because i'm i imagine there'll be some really interesting ideas out there um to be, to be fair they, they ask quite a lot of us as well that's that's a fair point. They do they demand a lot of us, Kieran. They demand upwards of eighty minutes a week of our time is what they demand. <laughs> <laughs> they demand us to crowbar the two two forty minute pods into our busy schedule. <laughs> uh, also, don't forget we have to source those sound effects that we pretend are really happening. You know, yes. We have to make sure that the barking dog sound effect is ready. <laughs> um and, and again, talking of asking you things, yes, if you do, actually, if you do have suggestions uh, for your one change to football, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com, which, of course, if you have questions as well, is the same address, questions at priceoffootball.com. And if you'd like to join the very many people who are making a small uh, monthly contribution towards our always free-to-air podcast, then please go to patreon.com forward slash priceoffootball. And as ever, thank you for listening. I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Uh, well, thanks again, folks, for for the feedback, and, and thanks for all the the birthday messages um, that, uh, that, that that were sent. Uh, the, the Baroness was was genuinely touched, uh, and also the messages uh, the, the the messages from from Guy and uh, and Kevin. She was she she was she was welling up when she when she saw all the stuff. Uh, so really appreciated um if, if you if you want to support the show uh patreon is is one vehicle and you know, for as little as one pound a month that that's great but you, you don't have to do that if you don't, if you don't feel so or you, you don't, your circumstances dictate but you can help the show by going on to the apple podcast button and uh, uh and following us there and uh, if you can give us a review give us five stars doesn't matter what you say doesn't matter what you say. You say you know, we want we, we love football the way it is. We don't want any rule changes. You know that's fine. You, you know that that's fine. Um, but it, it it does it does help uh, the business uh, as, as we've said. Yeah, we we hope we've got uh, Tracy Crouch booked in for later this week, and you know, she she wouldn't have come on the show unless she you know done done a little bit of homework. She realizes that we we do okay in the charts for a for a niche show, um, and it, it just it just helped keep us there in in, in the public domain. So, but apart from that. Thanks again for everything and uh, have a good week and we'll we'll see you on Thursday. Bye everybody. Bye. The price of football. Buy some football.